Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sweet, the Ladies' Guide to Bro Culture. Uh, my name is Gina Bloom, and this is the podcast for I, a transgender stand-up comic sequestered and quarantined down in sunny Van Nuys, California, bring some of my favorite funny ladies onto the Zoom to talk about the best of bro culture, male culture, the things that men like, that women haven't had too much experience with. And uh, we, have, we, we have a very interesting show uh, today, and I'm very excited to have uh, to have our guests on today. This, this, should, be, this should be a singular experience uh, for us, and I could not be more excited. So today, uh, we are talking about not a specific film or band or anything. We're talking about the entire musical idiom as best we can of jazz. Yes, uh, that 20th century invention, America's uh, lasting contribution to art. And um, I could not know less about it. So <laughs> I, I'm very excited to have our guests on today. Uh, my first guest, she is a mainstay of the New York City comedy community and uh, is still sequestered there and quarantined there. Now, please say hello yes. to the lovely Blair Dawson. Excited Hi. to be on Zoom. <laughs> yes. Blair, how, how are things in New York these days for you? Everything is day by day. When I remember to take Wellbutrin, it's bad. Yes, absolutely. Remember to take your Wellbutrin. That's, that is yeah. the key to getting through this. There's this is the time to make sure you're, you're up on your meds. Uh, if there ever was a time, this is the time. Yes. I still have my day job. So I have income, oh, which nice. is fabulous. And um, I have very nice roommates and we're doing home improvements. Oh, well, there you go. Perfect. Uh, I also have my day job. So I'm, I am in uh I'm in, a, I'm in a position where I really can't complain. I, I'm, I'm doing okay out here. Uh, all right. Our guest alongside Blair, he is a legend in, in jazz and salsa, a pioneer, uh, has played with most of the 20th and 21st century greats at one point or another, and he is also Blair's dad. Please say hello to Roger Dawson. Roger, how are you? Yes, yes, hey, very, very well, thank you. And, uh, you know, glad to be aboard. And, uh, and uh, again, it's, uh, this is, I'm close to the home of jazz, New Orleans. I live in Metairie, which is. Oh, right on. So Metairie is a bedroom community for the New Orleans communities. But and I can go, to, I can be in the French Quarter or in about 15 minutes so i was i just made my first trip to new orleans shortly before all this happened i was there in early february um doing my first headlining comedy tour and i got to stay in new orleans for about a week and i could not wait to go back and i don't know when that's going to happen but like when as soon as i can i would love to go back all right so um this is an interesting uh format we have today uh blair and i spoke uh, over Facebook Messenger, and we decided that it would be an interesting experiment if Roger supplied Blair with a jazz playlist of some of his favorites and what he considers to be essentials, uh, stuff that Blair hadn't heard before. And, um, and so he did. Uh, we have uh, Roger's Rex uh, playlist from, from Blair. And uh, Blair, give me your first impressions on um, on the playlist. First impressions. Okay, so I played Bye Bye Blackbird, which was fun. I like anything that has lyrics to it. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, and then it went, so Dad, he sent me very long emails. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dad doesn't use Spotify, but when I played Bye Bye Blackbird, Bird, and then it went into a Spotify radio. I was yeah. really more interested in the radio playlist, but uh, they played Joni Mitchell's stuff that I hadn't heard before. Likes Joni Mitchell a lot. Anyways, I digress. When I was playing the rest of the playlist, um, I will say, thing about jazz is like it feels more like background. It was relaxing, but I will say it's not like I would put it on and actively listen to anything. I feel like, um, what was it that I was just listening to? I think it was um, Charlie, 
Charlie Hayden. Mm-hmm. Um, that was more like had like more of a reggae vibe, which I liked. Um, more of like it just had more of a fun feel. It. Okay. But otherwise, I be able to like pick anything apart just because it kind of like melted together. All right. Yeah. Like I, non-lyrical. Yeah, no, that I, 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 I understand that where you're coming from with that. I also listened to the playlist today. Uh, I have about as much knowledge of this music as, as you do. And um, I'll get into, I'll get into to my thoughts on this, but uh, Roger, um, give us some context on some of the, some of the tracks that you picked and like um, what the, uh, what this, what, what, what some of these songs mean to you. And then we'll go well, from there. I started out by, you know, knowing that, uh, you know, I couldn't cover really the whole. Uh, well, of course not. Yeah. History of my development. So I sent a couple of recent highlights. The first thing I sent her was a piano piece by Jackie Byard. And it's uh it, it turns into a what's called a stride piano, mm-hmm. uh, very, very well done. I mean, Jackie Byard was an amazing musician. He'd worked with Charlie Mingus, a great classically cha- trained uh, pianist, uh, but he could play stride, and that is a, an art into itself, stride piano, which well, there are practitioners, uh, Fats Waller, you know, is probably one of the greatest. And there's Willie the Lion Smith. And uh, then there's also Thelonious Monk actually plays some very nice stride piano. And I sent Blair a piece, an original uh, from Monk where he played stride piece. And um, so I sent her quite a broad thing I sent her some stuff from John Coltrane in some of his uh, sort of mid mid to late portion mm-hmm. of life which was very complex he had he was a studious musician I was just looking today that he had studied from a book by Nicholas Slominski called Thesaurus of Melodic Patterns and Scales and this book uh, is maybe about um, 16 inches long by about 12 inches wide. And when you open it up, if anybody knows about no musical notation, there are several different uh, levels of, uh, uh, you know, tr- clefs. You know, there's bass, yeah. treble clef. It's amazing. And Coltrane used to carry it around with him and would play the scales as exercises. I mean, first of all, when I just look at those scales, my brains melt. So he was obviously a studious guy. Mm-hmm. And his compositions, he utilized a lot of that. And uh, when I sent Blair, I said, listen to the theme. He states the theme. And then after the theme is stated, then he begins to play his solo and develop the solo around the theme. So that's something that it takes a little while to be able to learn to hear. Yeah, sure. The first time I heard Miles Davis, I was like 14. I went to the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, and uh, Miles had the group with Coltrane in it at the time. And, um, you know, and I loved, you know, the the heads of the tune, the head meaning the beginning theme. But when the solo started, I was lost. I thought it was just abstract. I thought it was just me, 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 and it didn't, didn't make sense to me. Right. So, happens is as you study or listen and it's interesting what Blair says she found it as a background that's the best way to learn it by having it on as a background because if you try to concentrate on it it's it will evade you but if you let whenever I like play jazz I just pick a musician and then I just let it go yeah but whenever someone asks jazz I can't tell them anything about it just like I pick and just lay so I can't really like just one piece from another. Well, I, I think it, it, you develop the ears so that you hear what a soloist is doing. You hear the, the melodic ideas, which would have sounded abstract without ear training become. Uh, or, you know, I can do it with classical. I can't really 
jazz. Like we were talking about Gershwin yesterday and I feel like it can separate, like it, I feel like it's a very obvious difference from like Gershwin to Debussy, but say, but I don't know. Something about jazz, I feel like it like melts. You feel that it what? Feel, feel it melts I... together. Okay, so yeah, you don't hear a distinction in it. Whereas I do, I hear the distinction between the soloist. I hear the levels of the sound. I hear the bass player. I hear what the drummer's doing. Uh, it's a, you know, it's almost like a consciousness, musical consciousness expansion when you have to hear all of these different levels and how they fit together. And as you become a good jazz player, that's what you also do. You have to listen and you have to listen and hear the other players play and fit within the context of what they're doing, not just be on an ego trip off by yourself. You know, the great jazz musicians are really creative uh, and they listen and they inspire. So Gina, feel free to interrupt him. <laughs> I, 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 I would, but like, this is wonderful. Uh, this, is, this is the most expertise this, this show has ever I had. I just put my phone down and he'll just keep going. <laughs> I am fascinated by this. I have no, I have, I'm not a musician. And I, I have some recognition of the terms, uh, but Blair, I, I did want to, I, I did want to like stop and discuss something though. Uh, while Roger was talking, I could, I could see you down in the other uh, bubble, starting, starting to smile like you've, you've heard this, this kind of thing before. Well, like, yeah, like he's definitely talked. He, he was talking to me about stride, but it's just more of like I feel like he can launch into the log. <laughs> about his music, but I just think it's funny. There's a story with every piece of music, just like pop music has a story to you. Mm -hmm. Pieces that you both grew up on, um, when you hear it, it may recall a particular moment or a time and place, you know, and the same thing happens with jazz. For me, you know, I, I think of the time and how I heard about it and, all right, that's that's interesting. Uh, Roger, uh, on the playlist, uh, can you think of one of the tracks that you have a personal story? Like, I, I love your technical expertise, but like, can you give me something that is about how beyond just recognizing the notes and and the artistry of the individual players? Like, is there something from the playlist that reminds you of like a certain time, and like that's why you have it? Like, what are some of the emotional connections you have to the to the work on here? Oh, yeah. Well, definitely. I, I feel, you know, when I first really started getting into it seriously, I was like 15 or 16 at John Muir High School mm -hmm. in Pasadena. And I was with Bobby Hutcherson, who was a world famous vibraphonist who passed away, Herbie Lewis, bass players. Both Herbie and Bobby went to New York. And when I got out of the Army in 1961, uh, I went to New York. I had actually moved to La Jolla where my parents was and I was running a radio station. So it had a very bourgeois, you know, upper middle class. I had a house on the beach, you know, and the whole thing. And, and I used to pick up the girls from San Diego state and take them back to the house. And, and I'd want to put on some Coltrane and the girls say, don't you have any Trini Lopez? You know, like, la, 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 bomb I said, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. So I just, you know, and I took acid. So in the, in the that was 1962, I guess. Nice. At, I t at UCSD, there was the thing called the uh, Western Behavioral... The trials. Western Behavioral Sciences Institute, and I took the Sandoz, and it really... And I had, a like, a therapy, in essence, like, saying, hey... I don't want to be here with this. I want to go to New York and play jazz. So I did. I sold everything. I moved to New York and I lived in Harlem, which is really strange. I was the only white boy who lived in that area. I found the room through Juilliard. There was a posting on the bulletin board from Miss Archer at $12 a week. And this was 1965. And so I went and lived you know, in, yeah. in that $12 a week apartment. And then started going around with Bobby and Herbie, who were here, were in New York. And, um, you know, Herbie was playing with McCoy Tyner, and Bobby was, was playing with McCoy Tyner, and great players. And Herbie hooked me up with Archie Shep. 
And so I started playing, you know, percussion because I had played drums since I was five years old. And so I just automatically was able to fit in, although I was white. And at that time, it was the time of black consciousness, the emergence of black consciousness. And there was a whole group of um, people who felt jazz was strictly black. Yeah. Okay. You know, and Archie Shep was a very angry black poet as well. Sure. But is there a song that reminds you of that time period, uh, like your oh, Harlem I, days? I think, it, I think song is the wrong word for me. I mean, it, sure. It, Track something from style. the playlist. Yeah. It's, just, it, it's, it's a style from the period of time. Okay. For example, you know, I hear, I hear Art Blakey in the jazz messenger. I know that's hard bop. I hear Lee Morgan, hard bop. I hear Coltrane in the hard bop period. So with me, the personal aspect of it is that when I hear each one of those things, it takes me to a particular time. Oh, I see. Interesting. Okay. That's, that is interesting. All right. So with that in mind, let's, let's play a little, let's, let's do something a little different then. Uh, I'm going to play the Jackie Byard uh, track that you'd mentioned earlier. And then we're going to go from there. Wonderful. Okay, cool. All right, uh, Blair. Uh, yes. Having heard that, what's your immediate sort of uh, gut emotional reaction to to that? Uh, to, to My Jackie gut Byers? reaction. Uh, what I was thinking of was like, oh, it sounds like score or like Charlie Chaplin or like rock, like moving about in the city or like. You know, that's, I was that's, just thinking like soundtrack. That's you know, you know, that's not bad, Blair, because that it, that music from that time, the stride piano was developed into that into the 30s when you know those cartoons, black and white, old cartoons had a lot of Duke Ellington music in them. You know, the guy, the old farmer with the mouse that Erzatz he was chasing. I don't know you guys, that's before your time. But uh, that stride piano was definitely of that time. It yeah, was- yeah, I, I totally uh, I totally see where, where Blair's getting that from. And there is a lot of, like, virtuosity in that piano playing. Oh, no uh, shit. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Like, that, that, is, that is very impressive stuff. Um, I that was one of the tracks, uh, the Coltrane tracks, uh, especially in that one that I had that I had like my my ears perked up a bit. I did have a lot of the um, the like hold music reaction to a lot of this, uh, and it did sort of blend together. And I couldn't tell one track apart from the next. But then once Coltrane kicked in, or even the Thelonious Monk track, which is uh, right before it on the um, on the playlist, I you know it. It got a little more interesting for me. I really did like that Jackie Byard piece. I actually saved it to my Spotify. Um, and I, I think the problem that Blair and I have, and it's not really a problem, is that, you know, these are instrumentals. And, like, pop music for us has been almost exclusively vocal. Oh, and, yeah. You know, like, well, excuse me, but one out of every four persons is tone deaf. So right away, that's one of the reasons why jazz is not that popular, as opposed to pop music. Right. around words people can identify with words more than they can you know with melodies and you know because that automatically 75 you know 25 percent of the audience is gone because a lot Mm -hmm. of people are deaf they haven't been taught tonality sure all right but uh roger like you're suggesting to play like it seems like a lot of work um to get to like this music like do you is there a reward for that work though? Do you, do you feel like if she sort of like trains herself and listens to it repeatedly, that, that there's going to be like an enrichment out of that? Like what, what, what would, what would she get from, from in that investment? Well, for me it is. So, you know, it's, it's up to the person. Uh, if she, if she gets enough out of it that she wants to listen, it grows on you. That's, you know, I'm telling you that when I grew up and heard, uh, the best way I learned 
was having music on in the background. And then I would go do something else and I'd find myself humming a tune that had been playing in the background. So it had subliminally invaded me. And then once it is subliminally invades you, you begin to sort of get it. You know, right. you get it, then you want to hear it again. All right. Uh, somewhat related question for Blair. Blair, at, at what point did you, did you feel like pursuing comedy was something that you wanted to do artistically? Like what point did, did it become not a casual interest, but something that like spoke to you? Um, well, I always loved comedy. I just had some internalized misogyny and was like, oh, I'm, that's not for me. Boys do that. I thought my older brother was going to be a stand-up comedian. And um, yeah, so I just, I realized when I worked on a sketch comedy show, Friends of the People on True TV, I was doing mm -hmm. costumes for that. And all of them were stand-up comedians. And I just felt like I clicked with them in a way that I hadn't clicked with people before. And I saw what they were doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think in like a very egotistical way, I was like, I'm smarter than these assholes. <laughs> so I was just like, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I just love comedy so much. And uh, I was just like, it just made me feel like it was realistic. And uh, my biggest fear at that point was stage fright. I had awful stage fright. Can I ask Blair a question? Blair, who was the, is there a seminal person that really just lit you up? Lit me up? Well, there was one person that gave me permission to do stand-up. One of the Lucas brothers, Keith Lucas, he told me to do it. So I was just like, well, if he gave me permission, then I guess I can. Well, of course, yeah. But you don't need Keith Lucas's permission to, to, to pursue stand-up. But like, it's like, know, but is there, is there but someone I, artistically that I was like... very shy. Oh, exactly. I, I totally get that. I, to, I, I it took me forever to like pick up a mic. I had to completely change my gender to do that. But... um. But like, I think the question is like, is there is there a is there a comic artist, a comedian, like, yeah, or whatever? For sure. Um, well, I feel like okay. So my older brother definitely informed my comedy taste yeah. growing up. But then I developed my own comedy taste in high school, with like watching all the Comedy Central half hours, and um, and I loved Dimitri Martin. His show on Comedy Central was very funny to me. And then in college, uh, in, this, in the way that my dad is interested in jazz, I think I became interested in mm -hmm. podcasts where it's like, it really got me through. I could focus on school if I just played a podcast or an audiobook. And so I would <laughs> listen to like a lot of comedy podcasts. And I love Peretti. She's my favorite. Um, so I think, and she was, she was like a type of like feminine stand-up comedian that I could relate to right so I was like seeing her definitely helped me realize that I myself could do it and then also like Lisa Traeger I love mm -hmm. um, absolutely so just seeing those examples of like I always thought like oh Sarah Silverman she's like Oh, you have if you're gonna be a woman in comedy, you have to be like that or like be very like Yeah, she was great. I I, I was I was gonna suggest that. <laughs> I love Sarah Mary Silverman. So uh Blair brings up something interesting to me, Roger. Uh you're 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 a lot you're a live musician. Like you started playing with your heroes. You started playing um with like um the people that influenced you. And like Blair mentioned Liza Traeger. Uh I you know, I've done shows with her and it's so weird getting to that level where you're like doing your life on somewhat equal footing as the people that influenced you. Um, how was that? Like as, as an artist, how, how was like just becoming like a peer to the people that formed you? Like what, what did well, that I'll feel tell like? You, I'll tell you one thing, you know, I, I always had chops, meaning a, a technical ability on my instruments. Yeah. But, you know, but somebody like Ahmed Jamal, who, would, who I'd listened to when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, famous jazz pianist. And I got offered a job working at the Village Gate with him. And I showed up and I had three conga drums and some percussion stuff. And I knew his bass player pretty well. But I, I didn't smoke any reefer before I went down to play. I, I just, like, was very conscious of trying to lay back be in control and respect 
what he was doing and listen and contribute to what he was doing. So, you know, the, but once I did, I was right there. I was mm-hmm. there with him. He did it and I enjoyed it and it was a great exchange. And that's when I began to discover the, that the main thing you need to do when you're playing is listen. And then, you know, the playing sort of takes care of itself. The great players don't play because of ego or anything else. They're, they're just, they're gone. They're already in this cosmic consciousness of creativity. They have the technical ability, and so that just automatically comes. And then their creative ability, you know, goes on where they can create. And I begin to discover that, and that was very rewarding. Listening to my dad talk about coming up in jazz is really interesting, just because I feel like, for me, it's exactly the same thing, just like a different medium. Even him saying that he took acid, it just, it feels very parallel. And it's like, he had his supporting day job and just like was out all night and that's what I'm doing. It's like, I'm finding ways to like survive and then, but just like focusing on my create creative endeavors in New York. I want to revisit that, but I, I do want to play another um, selection uh, from the playlist. Uh, let's see here. I, I'm going to check out, let's play a little snippet of Bye Bye Blackbird. It is the only song with lyrics uh, on here, so it's probably going to be a little bit. Now, let me, you, let me preface that before. Go for it. It's Ricky Lee Jones, who was a pop vocalist. Yeah. But the, the thing that's special about this Bye Bye Blackbird is a traditional tune, which is, you know, but there are two great jazz artists who are giving her a compliment. One is Joe Henderson, who is a, uh, a an extremely outstanding tenor player who played with Art Blake, he played with all, all the greats. And then Charlie Hayden, who was also a great musician who played with Ornette Coleman, and he plays bass, and he's a great technical bass player. So as you're listening, you might want to, if you can tune a little bit into what Charlie Hayden's doing on the bass and what uh, what uh, Joe Henderson is doing on the tenor, and then Ricky Lee Jones actually contributes some sort of an original kind of vocal with it. So it's it was a fun piece, and I thought she'd like it. All right, let's listen to that, and uh, we'll go from there. One sec. <laughs> All right, so Blair, uh, give me your reaction to to that particular one. That's the only the only vocal in the entire group. Yes, it was my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> and also it's just like it felt very like sassy woman pounding her lips, and it just like um, I just like love female jazz singers. It just like it has so much attitude. It's just like it has like um moody feel that's like playful that I like. Yeah, I I agree. I um I had actually heard Ricky Lee Jones a couple of times before that and like it took me a little while to get into her phrasing. Um and I think that you know that's kind of analogous to like comedy because uh Blair you mentioned like Dimitri Martin. He's a bit of a difficult person to get into. Um, for a lot of people. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, you know, cause he's very specialized and he's very one-linery and like, it's, it, you know, comedy is pretty much a democratic art form. Like it's, it's supposed to be kind of accessible. Uh, so when I say that like, it's, you know, not quite as like intimidating as, you know, Thelonious Monk for instance, but, um, he can be a, he can be a little bit of a, a high barrier of entry. Um, it's interesting that you know you both kind of have this intellectualized artistic taste a bit, which I think is an interesting little parallel uh, uh, in the family. I, I think that's I think that may have shown some sort of inadvertent influence. I like to do shtick too. You know, when I was on the radio, I used, used to do shtick, and I went up to the Catskills, and I used to work in the Catskills. 
and I actually would do a couple minutes on mic, you know, and do do lines. But at that time, the lines that I did were, you know, like sort of fast, you know, uh, joke lines, not sort of st- modern story uh, com- comedy comedians, uh, you know, like uh, the guy who goes in to the Jew, to the urologist, and he says, "Doc, he's." A, he, I can't pee. And the doctor says, how old are you? And he says, I'm 90. The doctor says, you've peed enough. You know, that's, 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 that's not, kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's not too different than the stuff we hear at open mics. Right. I just, I loved those old Jewish comedians when I was playing it in the Borscht Belt, these guys that would come on and they were all Jewish, but they never had a Jewish name. You know, they always had these Goyish names, you know. Well, uh, they would change it. Like London Lee, you know, give me a break. The guy was Marvin Schwartz or something, you know, and uh, and they always wore these white patent leather shoes and a patent leather belt. And it was like, uh, you know, and they smoked a cigar and they were on the lounge and people would come in and they'd say, hey, you, hey, sit down. You know, I mean, they were like really, they were characters, you know, they were wonderful, you know, old Jewish comedians from those Borscht things. And that's sort of a, like a lost thing. Jen, I was going to ask you, did you ever listen to Jackie Mason? Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. What did, what, did, what did you think? Did you think it was funny? You know, I I actually kind of like, uh, you know, the Ba-dum-bum bump comics because um, they're corny in a way that I I feel is, is kind of charming. It's fun, right? It's fun. Yeah, it's, I think it's kind of charming. Like, it's, like, I wouldn't, like, I, I, you see comedians, not a lot, but you see comedians that try to replicate that sort of rhythm, and it doesn't, uh-huh. it doesn't work in 2020. Uh, That's interesting. For me, anyway. Like, it, it feels old and weird. Dated. Uh, it feels yeah, dated. Dated, right. Yeah, I feel but, like the only person who gets away with it is Mark Norman. Yeah, well, you know, Mark Norman. Is, I feel like he has, like, yeah. a... Who is that, Blur? <laughs> What's the name? He, Mark Norman. Okay. He had old timey rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like there are plenty of like one liner comics that are that are pretty funny. I think, you know, after um after like Pryor and like those people like that where story comedians became the style and like we've we've been sort of in in that mode for a long time. But like you know, I I I think like Jackie Mason's funny. I, I think um I think Don Rickles is funny. I think Rodney Dangerfield's fucking hilarious. But like, really? uh, he loves Dangerfield. I love him too. Roger, we were talking about the rhythm, and this is every now and then people will ask me like, how do you do comedy or something like that? Like I get like you know younger comics uh, will ask. And what, what I tell them is I, you know, I said, like, don't even worry about being funny right now. Just worry about finding your rhythm. And um, because if you get your rhythm down, the, the audience will laugh anyway, whether you're funny or not. If the, if, you, if the audience expects to laugh, they'll laugh. And, like, that's something that I, I take from music. Like, I listen to this playlist, and, like, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me emotionally, but, like, I – Anytime I can get like, like a subliminal connection to, to music, it reminds me of why I like to perform on stage. Um, not to get in my own sort of like technical um, reverie here, uh, pulling, a, pulling a Roger Dawson right now and just going off into my own like head. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I have done throughout my comedy career is to just figure out the rhythm that I want to say words. And sometimes that rhythm requires like a lot of text. And sometimes I just, I withhold depends on, you know, what joke I'm telling. Uh, and I think, I think that for us, for Blair and I, that I think that this music is, is valuable in that sense. It, I, I'm having a hard time connecting to it emotionally. And I, that's what I usually do with music. Music is usually a very emotional thing for me. Uh, and I see Blair nodding in the corner, but like, are you finding anything like that? Any sort of like artistic uh, reference point that you can, you can derive value from in some other way? I actually, I think I prefer classical over jazz, but mm-hmm. with jazz and classical music, I definitely like having it on while I work. It just kind of helps me focus. You know, like the both of us are very 
kind of active and very ADD. So it's just like having something to kind of like absorb, like, I don't know, first it, to me, it just kind of like helps me focus. Definitely. It's like good music to have on in the background. It, I find it very relaxing. Um, but in terms of like, I do feel like my relationship to music is emotional and I do connect more to lyrical music. I love, like, I love, um, like, I think Lady Gaga is her best when she's uh, doing jazz. She, um, she did an incredible song on Howard Stern, mm-hmm. Le- uh, Lush Life, I believe. And I, like, regularly listen to that. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting because that is a very complicated tune. Frank Sinatra tried to record it in 1958, and there's outtakes. He gets through about two courses, and he can't finish it, and he says, the hell with it. It was written by... It's gorgeous. Gil- it's great. Oh, it is. Well, you know, the words, too, are incredible. I used to visit all yeah. the very gay places, where come what may places, where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life. You know, I mean, it's it reminds me of Stephen Sondheim. You know, company. it is. Oh, it's brilliant. His his uh, wordsmithing. It's my favorite musical. Incredible. I mean, he. Uh, it's a great song. There's no question about it. And uh, Billy Strayhorn wrote "Take the A Train" for Duke Ellington. He is a master musician, and uh, he was actually Ellington's lover. He was gay, and he was extremely talented. And he met Duke in the 50s after Duke's orchestra had been started since the 20s. And Strayhorn came in there and modernized the arrangements and everything. And Duke just fell in love with him. He was so talented, you know. And he wrote that song. And it's an it's incredible, uh, incredible wordsmith as well as melodic. Coltrane recorded that tune with a, with a singer named Johnny Hartman. You might want to look that up on YouTube, Blair. If you like the tune, look up Johnny Hartman and John yeah, Coltrane. Yeah, go to the YouTube. Yeah, well, it, it, but it's you know, it's the tune you like. You said you like Lush Life. Go listen. Yeah, to, no, I will. Go to Lush Life. I'll write it down now. What's the name? Johnny Hartman is the vocalist, and John Col- Johnny Hartman. Yeah, and it's Lush Life, and it's incredibly beautiful. Okay. All right, that's down. wonderful. All right, um, we are we're getting close to the end of the hour. Um, before I start wrapping it up, though, I I would like to ask Roger if he has any advice to Blair on creativity, art, etc. You know, we've talked a lot about jazz. We've gone very technical into this discussion, which is so unlike this podcast. This, well, I thought I thought. The last thing that she did on Instagram where she did, I don't know if you saw it, Jenna, the bit where she d- does the baking, Gina. the bread. Did you ever see it, Jenna? Uh, she- I have not. And th- Blair, don't worry. Everyone calls me Jenna. <laughs> she, she, she just, uh, no, it was, I told her it was the best thing I ever saw her do because she maintained a character. It, it, For the record, the post bombed. <laughs> Well, I loved it. It She does a a bit where she's playing this sort of lady making bread, and then but she has the bread as something that she wants to punch, and she starts punching the bread, and it's like no, it's not a character. She makes up a name for the bread, you know, and uh, I don't know. Just I thought I said I thought that's the greatest that that she should do that. Develop characters and play it straight within the character. Don't get out of the character. You know, don't be a comedian where you go from one story to another, you know, but create these little vignettes that are really funny as hell. And she did it great, I thought, you know. If he wants me to be a character actor. I mean, there. hey, Alyssa Lynn Paris is killing it with the front-facing character comedy right now. So, like, that's... There, there's yeah. definitely a, a business model there. No, I definitely see value in it. It's just I 100% prefer. Well, I think that Kate, that Kate, what's her name, Kate Middleton? That's her bang. Kate. Kate right? uh, McKinnon. <laughs> McKinnon Kate, Kate McKinnon, yeah. I think, which <laughs> Famous she on SNL, Kate no, Middleton. No, but she's good. She gets into a character. She really tries to stay in character. 
and then she, you know, operates within that venue. And I, I think, uh, I think she does it well. Don't you, Jenna, or what do you think? Oh, oh no, I totally. Yeah. I, Kate's one of the greats. Um, and you know, there's a whole, like, actually um, many of SNL's current cast comes out of, um, character videos bow and yang he came out of that i like uh, bill Hader. bill Hader too i thought bill yeah. Hader does that he creates he's a, a great character. actor well bill bill Hader is is like a legend um he's one of the greats uh no i i have not seen blair's uh baking video i have seen blair and i've done many shows together so i i i have i, I am very aware of of her stand up and Blair, and if, if that's if that's where your passion lies, you've been doing it, you know how to do it. Keep keep going at it. Obviously, that's advice I give to myself. Um, one thing though that I have found is that because we can't perform stand up uh, right now, not real stand up. These Zoom shows are not real stand up, uh, and I say that as per- as a person who produces uh, an online comedy show. I, I've kind of had, out of creative necessity, had to sort of like try stuff like that, try to do like character bits. Like I have my own little fake news show that I'm working on. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll find, you know, I, I've avoided that stuff for my entire artistic career. Maybe I'll find that I actually enjoy it now that I have to do it. Um, so I like all the other stuff in comedy, all the different branches. It's just stand-up is my favorite. I, I totally agree. Stand-up is, is the best of that. And it sucks that we can't do it. I was looking at old posters today, just feeling <laughs> very melancholic. God, yeah, that's know. a drag. Because there's a drag, right, Jenna? Because you got yeah. no places to go to perform, right? No, so. no. Uh, I, w- I, was supposed to, I, was, I was supposed to play the Soho Theater in London at the end of this year. That is not going to happen, Aww. obviously. Oh, um, sorry. It's gonna be ten nights of me by myself for an hour, and well, I guess I'll catch him next year. Um, all right, uh, Blair, I do have one question for you before we wrap up. Uh, if you could suggest a song for Roger uh, that is contemporary and something that he you're pretty Ooh. certain he's not aware of, what what would that be? And we'll play a we'll play a snippet of it. Ooh, interesting. Okay. Let me see. What have I been playing a lot of? Um, all right. I've been... Okay. I've been listening to a lot of MIA. Um, I don't know if it would be... I guess it's contemporary. Um, let's see. I'm going through... Okay. Let's play Bamboo Banga. <laughs> Bamboo Banger by Ankala. All right. So we're going to play a, a little bit of Bamboo Banger by uh, MIA. And that's a, that. she's got some jazz influences in there, I think. Uh, I'm not familiar with this particular yes. track, but let's, let's play a little snippet of, of MIA. A lot of right genre collapse. Perhaps. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. One sec. Roger, uh, your first impressions on MIA, Bamboo Banga. Well, you know, I appreciate the rhythmic aspects of it and the verbal originality, but uh, to me, there's it's not the thing that I would move to because it's it's lacking in, um, uh, to me, uh, a harmonic development, you know, chord changes, 
what we what we call as intervallic motion, moving from one chord to another. You know that whole that that's missing there. So it's like it's sort of um, not full for me. Not full, lacking in intervallic motion. Not I, full. Yeah. Yeah, my my uh okay uh conversely blair like what what is it about that song in particular that that moves you it's it's an interesting choice because it's also untraditional like like you you didn't pick ariana grande or something like that like you went uh with mia i do love pop like i love i've played lemonade for and he's just like, oh, riding on a dick, rah, rah. like <laughs> making fun of it, just like the lyrics, like, what is she saying? <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel like I like MIA and I like, um, you know, like Fiona Apple, Gorillas. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a fun, there's just like an energy to it. Like if I ride my bike, it's like I can really get into a groove and it's music that I can really like. Dance to, and it just like I feel myself getting like um. It it's hard to verbalize, but it's mm-hmm. just I don't know how to say it other than just like a vibe and energy building. I feel myself getting amped up when right. I listen to it, and All it's right. like a fun feeling. I think I think we've just stumbled upon the key uh, difference between your musical tastes. Uh, Roger's uh, music is very easy for him to verbalize, uh, but Blair appreciates music that is hard to verbalize. What is compelling about it? Uh, I that hey, there you go. Different strokes, different folks. Uh, I think that I think it's an interesting contrast that I see a lot of similarities, but then all of a sudden there's this key difference. Hey, this is Gizmo, Gizmo on screen. So I don't know. If uh, oh yes, hello Gizmo. Hello Gizmo. <laughs> there's a dog. <laughs> there's, a, there's a dog on the pod, and he probably has very strong mm-hmm. opinions yeah. about jazz. Uh, all right, so that is, that's I think that's it. Um, Blair, uh, any any final thoughts on 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 the jazz playlist that you've got? Uh, I, it doesn't sound like you took too much from it, but do you do you have any better understanding after the after the hour, or do you find any other connection or stuff that you want to explore further? And the um, answer can be no, by the way. Yeah, I would love for it to be yes, but I will say I think the only song that I connected to was the "Bye Bye." blackbird song the the lyrical song yeah and i i think yeah absolutely i think being a a creative woman that um that that's that makes sense because you know ricky lee is very much self-possessed and uh she's identifiably a woman there's a vibe yeah there's a vibe and like it the point of identification is, is a lot easier than um since we're not jazz musicians, it's harder for us to like feel connected to what the the bass player is doing, for instance. But you know, the the vocalist, absolutely. Uh, Roger, uh, any final uh, any final words of advice or thoughts on on this subject for Blair or anything in general? Where we wrap it no, up? No, no. Other than uh, that, as I said, the the one time if she's got some time and she listens to classical and she likes it in the background, pick something that's kind of complicated like Coltrane, play it in the background, don't try and listen to it, and you'll find yourself, you know, uh, hearing it subliminally, and you'll come back to it. That's all I can suggest, you know. It's And I find it rewarding, and I think you would find it rewarding, because I think you're creative, and you've got the ability to learn in that direction. Yeah, I've definitely, like, uh, have put a lot of time into listening to... Coltrane and Thelonious Monk when I was in college and I do just like play it in the background I just haven't in a while I I, I totally feel you there Blair all right Blair uh, let the audience uh, know where they can find you on the internet and elsewhere you can... excellent I am on Instagram at Blair Simone your girl Blair on Twitter and for any other stuff 
for the comedy, you can go to my website at blairdawson.com. Nice. And uh, Roger, I don't know if you're on the internet, but if you are, please let everyone know where they can find you. And if not, uh, let us know where we can find you on, on record. Well, actually, you can go to uh, Wikipedia. I'm listed there, Wikipedia. <laughs> Roger, Roger Dawson, musician, and it tells you a whole bunch of things, and it also it sends you to some of my music. So that would be something. Dad, where's your music online? I don't have any music online. You know, that's interesting. I should. Well, I then how did uh, Wikipedia link to your music? Well, through CDs and through... Uh, through performance. Okay, I hear a project. We're gonna get his music on Spotify. There you go. Perfect. That that's a that's a worthy quarantine project. If I ever yeah, I can one. do it. I, I mean, I have the, the you know the uh, the files, the MP3 files, and so. Send me the files. You tell I'll me how to. For okay, that would be great. I think I'd love to do that. Awesome, dude. We just we just made art happen right here on the pod. I love that. Uh, as for me, you can find me on all social media at Gina Bloom, J-E-E-N-A-B-L-O-O-M. Uh, every Thursday, uh, new episodes of Sweet Ladies Got a Broke Culture uh, will be dropping uh, through the middle of June as we race toward our season two finale. You can also find me every Saturday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for Make It Rain Comedy. That is on the internet. Comedians tell jokes, they dance, and then you throw money at them through Venmo. A better time could not be had. Uh, all right, that is it for this week. Thank you to Blair and Roger. And um, thank you for having us. Thanks. Seriously, thank you. I um, I'm gonna give it another shot. The playlist, um, at least the Coltrane. I think that stuff was cool. Um, and yeah, that's that's it. I, I usually end with a quote but like since there were no words we're just gonna we're just gonna gonna say that the quote is is in between the notes this time and uh go from there and thanks everyone oh there you go there's our quote right there (laughs) perfect Gizmo. gizmo brings it home uh like the true pro that he is all right everyone uh for gizmo and everybody else have a good night Thank you.